everybody. So glad to have you here, and I am happy to get to preach God's Word to you. Uh, this passage from 2 Kings I read a few weeks ago, and God spoke to me powerfully through it. I was just deeply moved and stirred, felt like God communicated some very important things to me, and I wanted to share it with you, so that's why we're there in 2 Kings chapter 8 this morning. So this morning, I want you to know that God is relentless in his determination to love you, to take care of you, and to resolve everything that happens to you for your good. And if you believe that, you will become a courageous man or woman, boy or girl, no matter what happens. And one of the ways that God teaches us about his desire to do us good is through stories like this woman that we just read about in 2 Kings. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 4, it gives us the background of this story. It tells us that this woman was a prominent woman, but her husband was old and she had no children. We don't know her name. She is called the Shunammite or the woman from Shunem. A, a small village or area in Israel. But she loved God, and she cared about God's people. And she set up a room in her home for the prophet Elisha to stay when he came through her village. And Elisha wanted to do something for her, for all that she had done for him. And so he said to her, by this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. Well, she responded, don't lie to me, O man of God. In other words, uh, don't give me a false promise. I couldn't stand to have my hopes lifted up and then dashed. Well, a year later, she did have a baby boy. Uh, but when that boy was just a little bit older, uh, maybe about the age of Christian or Ben, uh, he went out in the field to help his daddy, to help his father in the field. And he felt a pain in his head, and he said, my head, my head. And his father sent him home to his mother. Uh, she held him on her lap all morning until noon, and he died. Well, immediately she set out to see uh, Elisha. She begged for him to come. She wouldn't settle for his servant. Uh, Elisha came, he stretched out himself on the little boy, prayed for him, and the boy came back to life. Then here in 2 Kings chapter 8, we pick up the story of this same woman. And Elisha tells this woman that a famine is coming, and he warns her that she needs to go to a foreign country, to a foreign land, so that she and her son will have something to eat and not starve to death. So she goes. She goes to the land of the Philistines. But in leaving Israel, she loses her home, she loses her land, and she loses all of her income. And it's uh, guessed uh, or suggested that perhaps her land and home became just confiscated by somebody else uh, in Israel at that time. So I'm going to pick up this story again. We're going to kind of reread re some of it anyway. And, and I'll tell you why I'm going to do that is because the message of God is in the story. Okay? Sometimes God 
tells us things by stating truths or principles. Sometimes God speaks to us in the story. Verse three, at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to the king to appeal for her house and her land. She wanted to get it back. And it just so happened that the king had been speaking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, who's Elisha, saying, please relate to me all the great things Elisha has done. Now, and Gehazi was just then at that moment telling the king how Elisha had brought the dead back to life. And just then, the woman whose son Elisha had revived came to appeal for the king for her house and her land. So Gehazi said, my Lord, the king, this is the woman and this is the son that Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman if that was true, she confirmed it. So the king appointed for her an officer saying, restore all that was hers along with all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the country until now. If you've been a Christian for any time at all, you have heard Romans 8.28. You maybe know it. I know it in the New American Standard, which says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Wonderful promise, but that has to jump off of the page of Scripture and into your heart. It has to get inside of your thinking, inside of your approach to life, how you think about your life. And that is one of the reasons why God tells us stories all throughout the Bible that show us this promise. He makes the promise, but there are just multiple stories throughout the Bible that demonstrate or show this promise. And this, of course, is one of them. And this story of the Shunammite woman is here to increase your confidence that God will resolve everything you have ever been through or ever will go through for your good, that he restores all losses, turns all problems to good, and all suffering to glory. It is to make you courageous. The story is to make you fearless, undaunted, bold, not dismayed, not discouraged by anything that happens to you. Of course, we... We all get shook up in the moment when things happen. But really, the more we are anchored into the rock of this promise, the more it will be shook up for a moment only or for a, shorter, a short season. And as we return to this truth, as we turn to this God who promised this, as we return to the rock of our faith, uh, our courage, our boldness, uh, our confidence soars and is restored to us. No matter what happens to you, God has a plan. Uh, you don't get that job, God has a plan. You don't make the team, God has a plan. You're not one of the beautiful or popular or gifted people. God has a plan. 
if you experience some really lean years, I mean really lean years, God has a plan. Whatever it is, uh, even when life seems in your mind, in your heart, to just completely fall apart, God has a plan always. And, of course, when family, work, and circumstances are all good, that's from God, too. But the message of the Bible is that in all things, at all times, God's people are in his hands for good. Psalm says the, step of, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And we believe that by faith. And that's the power of this story, is it, it demonstrates that to us. It, it communicates it to us with, with emotion, with, with the reality of a story, within a reality of an event that, that proves it, that makes us experience that in our heart and helps us to believe it for our own lives. Unplanned and unexpected circumstances start lining up for this woman's. People show up and say things at just the right moment. And you just know it's God. You know, from a human standpoint, Elisha's servant, Gehazi, he could have, hap- he could have uh, or excuse me, excuse me, from a human standpoint, Elisha's servant, Gehazi, just happened, again, this from a human standpoint, not from God's standpoint, from a human standpoint, he just happened to go see the king one day at a particular time. He could have gone any other day or the king could have been out of the office, so to speak, when Gehazi went to see him. And the story falls apart. It ends right there. The king happened to ask Gehazi about the great things Elisha had done. And there were many. There were lots of miracles. He just happened to tell the king about how Elisha brought the Shunammite's woman's boy, little boy, back to life. And then just at the moment that this woman, uh, just at the moment that that, uh, Gehazi was telling the king about this woman, at that very moment, this woman, along with this boy, came into the king's chambers. And she had come to ask for her house and her land back. But just think about this. She's been gone for seven years. She could have shown up at any month, any week, any day, She could have come 15 minutes earlier and missed this conversation and the whole story collapses. Uh, She could have come by herself without her son and that could have changed the king's response. Uh, And he could have just had a hard heart and said, hey, that's tough, lady. That house and that land belongs to somebody else. But God intended to do her good and he made he caused all of this to fall into place and as we read this story and you pay attention to the details of it and how god took this this woman who lost everything all her income all her money her land her house how god ordained planned causes to happen that every single thing was restored to her including all the income that she had missed from this land for seven years, from the day she left Israel till the day that she came back. It's amazing. So we, what we see here is something so wise, 
so skillful, uh, such an arrangement of people and circumstances that the hand of God is clearly seen. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and un- unfathomable his ways. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God is in charge. God is in charge of history and God is in charge of your story too. With deep wisdom and knowledge, God is weaving together the good plans for your life. Not that we understand everything, because what did Paul say? His ways are beyond understanding. (laughs) They're unfathomable. But with deep wisdom and knowledge, God is weaving together, working together all things, all events, all circumstances in your life for your good. We are not talking about things just falling into place. You know, people say things like that. Well, things have a way of falling into place. Um, or saying that, you know, things, have, ha- things ha- just have a way of working out. Or time heals all things. Uh, no. We have a God who causes all things to work for our good. He is a God who makes all circumstances bend and work for you and for the good of his people. And nobody can get in his way. Nobody can stop him. Nobody's ruining God's plan for your life. It can't happen. So I'm going to go over several lessons that that stand out to me from this uh, story. And hopefully they'll bless you too. The first lesson is this. The Lord has you The Lord has you in his mind and heart and in his plans. Uh, We're looking at the story of just one solitary woman. She's just one person. Uh, She is a nobody on the pages of history. And yet God works good for her with such skill and with such care. And God's care for her in this story is to convince you of his care for you. You know, we just sang this this morning. God says, I've written your name on the palm of my hands. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Even if she could forget, I will not forget you. God has a plan for kings and nations and worldwide events and all of history and all mankind but he has plans for people like you and people like me too. Uh, No child of God is too weak or too young or too insignificant to be overlooked by God. He knows you. He knows your name. uh, He knows where you live. And he has plans for you. Uh, Your life matters. And that's what this, this story is all about. Second, God is up to something good even in trouble. In fact, much of what God does in stories throughout the Bible begin with big trouble. You just have to think think about the Bible stories you know. Uh, Goliath 
taunting the Philistines, uh, Joseph being sold into prison, all these things. And they all start with, with trouble, big trouble. Uh, but God is up to something good even in the trouble. Uh, the Apostle Paul certainly believed that. He's the one that, that wrote this verse under ins- in inspiration that God causes, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. And so when he was in prison in chains in Rome, he wrote to the Philippians, and what did he tell them? He said, guys, I want you to rejoice because I'm rejoicing because my circumstances have actually served to advance the gospel. He believed in a God who is up to something good, even in the trouble. The story of the Shunammite woman starts with trouble. As we just talked about, she, had, she was forced to leave her home and her land, lose all of her income because of the famine. Interestingly, this trouble came as a judgment from the Lord. It says the Lord sent this famine. Uh, doesn't identify the cause here, but more than likely it was just because of Israel's sin and idolatry uh, which uh, they were ter- just in terrible rebellion against the Lord at this stage in their history. But even, even though this famine was sent by the Lord as a judgment, God had a plan to take care of her. You know, God may well bring down judgment on America in the days ahead. I don't know if you, some of you think about that or not. I do. And I sometimes think about how it will might affect me. Um, We as a nation are flaunting God's laws like never before, and no people, no nation on earth has ever gotten away with that. And when God deals with a nation or with a people, uh, God's people are affected, and yet we should not fear one bit. There is nothing that can happen in the world or in your life that can make Romans 8.28, untrue. God had a plan for the Shunammite woman, and he does for you too. And God is able to take care of you. He's able to take care of his people, even in times of judgment. Until we are in heaven, God's good plan, which he promises, God's good, God's, God's, God's plan for us, will often be worked out through trouble, and even evil. Uh, God has only allowed evil for a short time. In light of all eternity, he's only allowed evil for a short time, but we live in that time. Uh, The day is coming when God, it says, will wipe away every tear, pain, and sorrow will be things of the past. They will be in the past. They will be called former things. Uh, We're not there yet. But God still has promised to make evil and pain in this life serve the good of his people. It's an amazing promise. And no wonder uh, Paul worships God for his, his wisdom, uh, the depth of his wisdom and knowledge and his ability to do that. There's uh, a book that I've read called... Uh, uh, divine Providence, and uh, there's a letter that's written by someone in this book to a troubled lady, and I'm just going to read this letter for you because I think it's so good. I highlighted it in the book years ago. 
Uh, my dear sister, fear nothing. Keep firm. Take courage. God is with you. And you have nothing to fear even if you are in the midst of unchained devils. Nothing can happen to you save by the permission of God. And he will permit nothing that will not turn to your advantage as long as you confide in the goodness of so faithful a friend, so tender a father, so powerful a protector. Be consoled, therefore, and put your mind at rest and remain in peace. God is with you and for you. Jay Adams wrote an excellent little book. And uh, like John, I probably should have brought some of those books to hand out to you guys this morning. It's, it's about that thick. Very little book. Uh, and the, na- the name of the book is How to Handle Trouble. And I've kept it on my shelf, uh, read through it many times, referred back to it. It's an excellent little book. Uh, first three points in the book are absolutely unforgettable and absolutely essential if you want to walk in victory. The three points are God is in the trouble. Point number two, God is up to something. Point number three, God is up to something good. And if if you approach your trouble with those three truths it could revolutionize your life and if you want to be an overcomer in life you must discipline yourself to believe this again this is not just a you know flippantly saying everything happens for a reason this is unshakable confidence in a good outcome because your life is directed by your heavenly father who cares for you. He cares for you as a person. He cares for you as an individual. He cares for you as his child, just, just like he cared for this one solitary woman, the Shunammite woman. Third, the promise of all things turning to our good is for those who love God. Uh, this is the forgotten phrase of Romans 8.28. Uh, everybody, everybody wants to quote the first part, all things work together for good. <laughs> Forget. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, the Shunammite woman clearly loved God. Uh, if you read back through her story, uh, she, was, she was devoted to Elisha and supporting him. She was devoted to Uh, blessing Elisha, God's prophet, and blessing his work, providing a place for him. She cared about the things that God cares about. And and she obeyed Elisha when he warned her to flee. I mean, she didn't hesitate. You know, Elisha came to her. He was, was in a sense, God's mouthpiece to her as God's prophet. And he said, "Uh, dear lady, you know, you need to flee. There's a famine coming. She obeyed because she, she, she loved God. She obeyed God. You know, the, the way that you know that someone loves God is if they obey God. John said this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And it's not always easy. And the Shunammite woman had to give up a lot and go to a foreign country. And 
yet that was God's place of protection for her. It was God's, it was God's place of goodness for her and for her son, uh, safe from the ravages of famine. If she had disobeyed the Lord's counsel from Elisha, uh, she might have kept her home, but also might have starved to death along with her son. Uh, no good came because she obeyed God. You know, if we say, uh, and I've heard people say things very much like this, I know God doesn't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's just another way of saying, I don't love you, God. It really is. And true Christians are people who love God and seek to obey him. No, we don't do it perfectly. But Christians are those who love God and seek, because they love God, seek to please him and obey him. The fourth lesson, we do what we can, what we know to do, and we leave it up to God to work the wonders. We leave it up to God to work the plan. We don't have to manipulate the plan and figure out, okay, well, if I do this and that, maybe this could work for good. No, we leave it up to God. We do what we know to do, what he shows us to do. And that's one of the things I love about this story. This, this woman, in a, in a sense, is doing something so ordinary. She's, just, she's come back, uh, and she's just going to the king to ask for her house and land back. In one sense, I mean, it's just life. Uh, she's just doing what she knows to do next. And yet, God is so in this. And you know, life isn't about our cleverness. It's about his wisdom and his plans. Oh, the depth of the wisdom of God. Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Uh, the mind of man plans his ways. We just do what we know to, know to do, trusting that God will direct and orchestrate everything. Uh, there's this very mundane element in life, and I don't know if you feel that about your life or not. I mean, I often feel about, about my life. It just seems there's, there's a lot of routine things, mundane things, things that you just, you just go do the next right thing. There's no extraordinary, uh, you know, vision or experience or, or anything. You just do what you know to do next. And so much of what we do feels so ordinary we do the next right thing, um, whatever it is. We, you know, we see a need in someone, and we do what we can to meet it. Uh, we uh, read. We read our Bible. We pray about things. We might get up at night and take care of the kids. We go to work. Uh, we get our family to church. And yet, God is right there with you in those things, working his plans for good. And often it comes out of you just doing the next thing that you know, know to do. Sometimes it's the only thing you know to do. And God is, is so in it. Uh, back in 1984, I was uh, told by Cindy's doctor who, who had done uh, surgery on her that she had probably no more than two weeks to live. And uh, we'd been through all the chemo treatments. Uh, nothing worked. And she was basically at home 
uh, dying. And I had no idea what to do. And as, as, as really kind of a shot in the dark, uh, I went and asked her surgeon uh, just for some pain medication. Not that I thought pain medication would heal her, but would just bring some relief. And unknown to me, and I, and I believe prompted by God, uh, after I asked for that pain medication and left and went home, and he sent me home with some, uh, he called another oncologist by the name of Dr. Shrek, and shortly, I don't know if it's within a day or two, uh, this oncologist, oncologist Dr. Shrek, and this surgeon, Dr. Cross, showed up on our doorstep on the far south side of Des Moines. Now even, I know 1984 is a long time ago, but even in 1984, uh, top surgeons and leading oncologists don't just show up at your front door and try to help you. Well, that led to uh, some procedures and treatments that and resulted in Cindy being completely healed and clear of cancer. And my point in sharing that story is we, d we just simply did what we needed to do next, and God worked the wonders. And, you know, and that's what life is. It's the mind of man plans his way, but God is directing your steps. Fifth lesson, the end of God's story for God's people is uh, restoration. Uh, we've talked about how God works all things for good. Well, w one of the manifestations, I'll say, of the way that God works good for you is that he restores things to you that you have lost. Uh, God is a God who uh, restores. So the end of God's story for God's people is restoration. He takes our trouble, pain, and even evil done to us, and he resolves it all for good. Uh, verse 6, which I just love, uh, the, the king issues this command, uh, restore to her that all that was hers, along with all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the country until now. Uh, God delights to restore things to you and to us. Um, restoration is such a beautiful word. Uh, it means a return to former glory or better times. I find it very interesting that the Apostle Peter called the, the, the coming new heavens and the new earth he called it, in, in Acts 3.21, he called it the restoration of all things. When Christ comes, he's going to restore all things. So this word restoration is, is really not, not only a word that uh, applies to what God does in our, just in our everyday lives, it, it really communicates the whole plan of salvation. God is a God who restores things. So restoration is, is the ultimate end or the ultimate story of salvation. Uh, because of sin, what we all lost was God, 
and what will be restored to us is God. We will be his people. I mean, this is the ultimate promise of the end. We will be his people and he will be our God. And we will see his face and serve him forever and ever. And so Jesus comes to restore all things. Uh, Jesus comes to remove sin and the curse and to restore peace and joy and intimacy with God. And what we, what we lost in the garden, uh, the perfect and beautiful, perfect um, fellowship with God will be re- restored. All of that will be restored and, and more. In Joel chapter 2, 25 and 26, the Lord promised um, to restore things to his people. Really a, really a precious verse. I hope you know it. It communicates uh, the heart of God that you need to know and I need to know. The Lord said, I will restore to you the years eaten by locusts. New American Standard says, I will make up to you the years eaten by the locusts. You will have plenty to eat until you are satisfied. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. My people will never again be put to shame. Um, That's that's the uh, finale that God wants to bring uh, to everything in your life. Interestingly, also in this case, the locusts came as judgment for, God, for, the, for the people's sin and rebellion and idolatry. That, that's why their years were, eat, were eaten up. Their own sin brought the wasted years. And yet God promised to restore all they had lost and more if they would turn to him. I think there's a powerful lesson in there for us. Um, However, uh, your own sins or my own sin may have destroyed uh, relationships and opportunities. Uh, No matter how our own sin may have destroyed uh, years of our life, God promises that he will restore those years and the lost blessing of those years if we turn to him. That's grace. That's God's goodness. It's his grace. And God does restore and heal and make up for losses here in this life, just like he did for the Shunammite woman. Uh, The big picture is that all of salvation, the end of time, heaven, all that we have in front of us, that's that's the big picture of restoration. Uh, But God does restore and heal and make up for losses right here in this life, just like he did for the Shunammite woman. And as you go through life, you lose things, or things get broken or taken from you. Sometimes it's friendships. Uh, Sadly, sometimes it's marriages and homes that get broken up and fall apart. Uh, Bodies get broken and weak. Sometimes we lose our joy or our laughter. 
Uh, I don't know how many people I've heard after going through something really tough, like a divorce or estrangement from a son or daughter or the death of a child, I don't know if I will ever be able to be happy again. It's just, that's just something that people feel when there's big loss. And so we do feel those losses. We do experience losses in life. My dad went through a real uh, bitter experience of being fired from his job. He was a retirement home administrator. And from one of the places that he was uh, administrator, uh, the, the board was made up of a group of pastors. It was an evangelical-sponsored retirement home. And anyway, he ended up getting fired. He lost uh, his job uh, by a pastor who <laughs> he had considered a close friend. And my dad lost something through that experience. He, he, he lost a friendship. And quite frankly, he lost faith in, faith in pastors uh, for a while. But eventually, uh, that experience led him into the one of the, the close, I, I think, actually think the closest friendship of his life with a pastor uh, by the name of David Brown down in Kansas City who, uh, who did his funeral. So we should not brood over our losses or dwell and self-pity because of our losses. Why? Because we serve a God who restores what was lost, what was taken, what was broken. And we're supposed to believe that. And we're supposed to live in anticipation of that. God is a God who restores and replaces and makes up for all losses, either now or at the resurrection of the righteous. And usually both. Usually in some ways both. Jesus said, truly I say to you there is, uh, excuse me, when Peter said to Jesus, we have left everything and followed you. I mean, Peter was saying, Lord, hey, we've lost something pretty big here. Uh, Lord, have you noticed? <laughs> I lost something. <laughs> we've, left, left, we've, we've left everything or we've lost everything. And followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and, and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Uh, to me, that just shows the heart of Jesus. He's saying, Jesus desires to restore uh, what you lost. And he promises that many times over. Some, some to come back to you now in this time or in this life, but much for certain, multiplied over and over in the age to come. So we should look for God to do that, uh, even in small disappointments, uh, as well as those, those that shake us to the core. And I think one uh, misapplication of this message could be to, okay, when something really big, really, tr really bad happens someday down the road, uh, I'm going to plan to rely on this promise. What about the disappointments this afternoon or tomorrow or this week? No, we should believe in a God who restores and makes up for and turns all things for good the little things and the great big things too.
the small disappointments as well as those that shake us to the core. Uh, Cindy has a short prayer that she uses in disappointment or loss, and she says, God, make it up to me. And uh, that's a a good prayer because it shows an expectation that God is a God who makes up what we lose. The Apostle Paul um, expected to see good to come out of his trials. Uh, He had the... and, and he, because, he, because he believed in a God who worked things together for his good, he, that gave him the freedom of mind to see the advantages of his imprisonment. Because he believed that God actually does cause all things to work for good, those who love him. If you believe that, it'll open your eyes and you'll start seeing more and more things how, okay, yeah, you know, I actually see good coming out of this. I actually see that this was for my good. It was painful, it was hard loss, but I'm actually beginning to see how God is using this for good. And so if we have this faith, it'll open our eyes and our heart to this. So ultimately, uh, the application is to give yourself without fear and without reservation to God and His plan. You abandon yourself to God, you know, in complete trust and with a complete sense of safety and security that you're in the hands of your Father. Your your life is in His hands. Your times are in His hands for good. The excellent wife in Proverbs 31, it says, uh, she smiles at the future. When you uh, can smile at the future, it's, it's because you're believing the kind of things we're talking about this morning. And if you believe those kind of things, it will enable you to uh, face life uh, with a smile, with open arms, with boldness, and with courage. I was reading recently uh, a book called Ang- The Angles and Saxons. Uh, it was talking about the, in the uh, Saxon uh, invaders of England, Vikings, you might call them. Um, but I, I loved what was written about them. It said, the, the Saxon is the most ferocious of all foes. He is bold, undaunted. He faces all resistance with contempt. Shipwrecks are of no terror to him, but he sees them only as so much training. He is not merely acquainted with the perils of the sea, He knows them as he knows himself, and he is fearless of them. And I don't know why I love stuff like that, but I do. It just uh, challenges me to be more bold about life. But when I read that, I thought, if pagan barbarians could show that much pluck in the face of shipwreck and hardship, how much more the man or woman of God who knows that God has his back? we're not just trying to play uh, you know Vikings like we're like we're tough we're not just trying to play tough tough guys Uh, we are people who know that God has our back for good that he causes all things to work for us so uh, go home with this confidence that God is always at work God always has a plan uh, and it's always ultimately for the good of his people, his kingdom, 
his church, and for you. Believe that and be of good courage. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for including stories.